If you just want to listen to Father Beerman talk about Unbound, skip to about the two-minute marker, and that's where Father Beerman starts talking about Unbound. Welcome to Practical Rambling Fathers. Today we have our guest, Father Beerman, again, coming back to talk to us about Unbound, a form of inner healing prayer. So the beauty of Unbound is that it's not meant to be a magic formula. It's a continual process of which we're open to things that were kind of hidden in our hearts. And God is asking us, inviting us to open our hearts further for further healing. And so Unbound takes a look at takes a look at our life and areas that we've been hurt, where we're seeking forgiveness. If there's anything that happens in our family or trauma at all, to bring it all into the light and to hand it over to Jesus and then allow God the Father to come with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to really fill that void of where these wounds used to reside in, in our hearts. I, I've gone through Unbound myself and I found it to be super helpful because every day, it's like us rising up with Christ and asking God, you know, put away my selfish desires, put away my will so that I can live more for you and to care of your will because your will will make me the happiest instead of doing it my way on my, my own time. Right. I too have had some uh, unbound and done other sorts of inner healing prayer, which we've mentioned at some point. Um, so especially now while we're on quarantine, maybe this is a good time to listen to this. But even if uh, we get out of this or when we get out of this to, to listen to this, to um, come into a deeper sense of healing and how God can heal um, everything in our lives if we humble ourselves. Because um, he wants to do it. He's the healer. So hope you enjoy listening to Father Beerman here uh, about uh, Unbound. So, thank you much. Okay, this is Father Andy Beerman. I'm the pastor at St. John Vianney Church in Fairmont, as well as Holy Family Church in East Chain, Saints Peter and Paul in Blue Earth, and St. Mary's in Winnebago. We're going to talk a little bit today about deliverance prayer uh, following the Unbound model. Perhaps you've read the book by Neil Lozano called Unbound. Uh, let's begin with a prayer this afternoon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide us and protect us in this spiritual battle in which we are engaged, to be victorious by the power of Christ, who has conquered death, sin, and the devil. And we pray through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we look in the scriptures, we see, especially in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the, the reality that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Jesus speaks often of the devil. In other words, there are spiritual beings some of whom are good and some of whom have fallen. Uh, the devil and his demons are those who have fallen. They were created as angels first, but then they rebelled against God. They disobeyed. And they are malicious and are seeking to get us to fall away from the Lord as well. And so we don't see angels or demons, but they are real beings of superior intellect, and superior willpower to human beings. 
they are purely spiritual. They, they have no bodies, and that's why they're invisible. But yet they are persons. Uh, they are more than just forces, but they are individual beings. Angels are intent on serving God and praising God, whereas devils and demons are intent on rebelling against God and dragging others down with them. So St. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 6, says, Draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. And so what are the tactics of the devil in our own life? I think it can be narrowed down to three main ones. The first one, Jesus describes the devil as a murderer. He has been sent, or his mission is to rob, steal, and destroy. So there are times where we think of we have received graces from God and blessings, and the devil comes in and tries to rob us of them. Perhaps you can think of a a moment where you've experienced a, a time of joy, for example, on a retreat, a spirit of peace and uh, a greater faith has come to you. And then after the retreat is over, uh, it starts to fade away or you even lose it as you, as you go back to your work or your family and all of a sudden there's a crisis. And uh, the crisis uh, is an opportunity for the Lord to be there with his grace, but it's also an opportunity for the evil one to come in and rob us of our joy and peace that we received on the retreat. Another example is after accomplishing something that we feel like, I, I feel good, I've, I've completed that task that I wanted to do. And the devil is right there with the, with the suggestion, okay, well maybe you did that one thing, but what about these ten other things that you didn't accomplish? And so you can't really feel good about that. So he tries to rob us of joy and steal from us Um, consolation that the Lord desires to give. Second, the devil is known as a liar. This is in John 8, 44. uh, Jesus refers to the devil as the father of lies. Uh, What are lies? Obviously, uh, it's not going to be something that's blatant because we wouldn't fall for it. But these are subtle thoughts or suggestions that the evil one whispers to us in our own minds, and they are lies, but we, if we believe them and we, we start to live our life according to them, then we're under a deception. Some common lies that people fall into is, there's something wrong with me, or it's always my fault, or no matter what I do, it's never good enough. Or I have to be right, I have to be perfect or the best. I can't make a mistake or something bad will happen. Uh, One that that, uh, seems to be fairly common that that, uh, I may have fallen into myself is if I can't be loved, at least I can be right. Um, Perhaps um, I am a terrible mom could be another lie that we may have fallen into. Or um, I don't deserve... God's love and mercy. I deserve to be punished. Nothing good ever happens to me. Um, I am damaged goods. All these kinds of things we can recognize when we speak them out loud, how it's not true. But uh, when it's just thoughts that go into our mind, we can be easily taken in by the evil one and start to believe those things. The third one is 
the the tactic of the devil is that he is the accuser. He's referred to this in Revelation 12, verse 9. The accuser of our brothers was cast out, who stood before them accusing them day and night. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So here it's uh, in the courtroom setting as, a, as an analogy. Uh, the person who is on trial is you, your soul. And uh, we have God who is the judge. And then you have a lawyer who is arguing that you should be condemned. And that's the accuser. And in this case, it's the devil. But then we have the lawyer who is arguing on our behalf to be acquitted. And that is the advocate, also known as the Holy Spirit. So the accuser is the evil one who suggests thoughts to our mind of accusation. So, for example, if we can just see someone and think uh, accusatory thoughts about them or critical thoughts or make judgments about them. There can also be self-accusation in which uh, we condemn ourselves in our thoughts. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I do not even condemn myself. It is the Lord who judges me not myself. And so if I, if I find myself thinking thoughts that are condemning of myself, uh, that's something that really belongs to the Lord to judge my soul, not something that I should be taking on. There is in the spiritual tradition uh, um, a, a healthy notion of self-accusation, which is examining our conscience and acknowledging our sins. But the devil as the accuser is something different, where he seeks to instill shame and say, I'm a bad person or I'm unworthy of God's grace and his mercy and his love. Uh, we hear about the story of Exodus, which is a model for us of the spiritual battle. The Israelites uh, were set free from slavery to the Egyptians, and especially to Pharaoh. And so the Pharaoh represents the role of the devil in our lives. The book of Exodus is not really about Pharaoh. He plays a part in the story, but it's not about him. It's really about God and his power in setting the people free from slavery. It's about God. Now the Pharaoh plays a role, but it's not focused on him. In the same way in our spiritual lives, we shouldn't really focus on the devil or, or excessively think about him or worry about him. It's really about what God is doing and how God is setting us free and the joy that the, that the Lord desires to give to us. So the devil plays a role in our spiritual battle, but it's not about him. He seeks to draw attention to himself in his pride. So uh, we have been made children of God, and that means uh, we have been set free from slavery. If you turn to Colossians one thirteen. It says, He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when we speak about deliverance prayer, it is uh, calling upon the Lord to deliver us, just like he delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, into the promised land. In this case, it is a spiritual process by which we are delivered from slavery to sin and the devil and his lies and his accusations to be set free, to be children of God, 
to be his beloved sons and daughters, to see ourselves as God sees us. Uh, and it is the Lord who delivers us from this power of darkness. Now we belong to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've been transferred. This is the, this is the nature of deliverance that we're speaking about here. Just like uh, when a mother goes into labor, it's called deliver. She delivers a child. She's in delivery. So uh, the child goes from the world of living in the womb of the mother and now out into the world uh, with the bright lights and the voices and all that. And so we go from living in that place of slavery and fear and anxiety to be set free. So if the devil is a liar and the father of lies, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that you may know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth that he wants us to know? It is the truth of who we are in God's eyes and who God is. The truth that, that he sees us as his beloved sons and daughters with whom he is well pleased. The five keys, then, for deliverance. If you, if you imagine a doorway into a room and a door, and uh, this person is concerned about someone breaking in, and so they put five locks on this door. If you open four of the locks, but the other one is still locked, you're not going to open the door. You have to unlock all five with all five keys before you can open the door and pass through it. So in the same way, deliverance, there are five keys that all of them must be uh, opened and unlocked in order to experience real freedom and deliverance that the Lord desires for us. And these keys are as follows. The first is repentance. The first words of Jesus in preaching the gospel is repent and believe in the good news. So repentance means a turning away from our own sinfulness, making a statement of saying, I no longer desire uh, that particular sin in my life. It's uh, acknowledging uh, a change of heart in our mind. Only human beings are able to repent because the, we have that ability to change our minds. And that's what allows us, after we've sinned, to uh, repent or regret that we have sinned and to go to confession and to be forgiven. So repentance is one of the keys to say, I'm no longer wanting this sin in my life. I no longer want this lie or the influence of the evil one to uh, have that kind of power over me. The second key is forgiveness. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus discusses and talks about the importance of forgiveness especially in the parable of the unforgiving servant. The, the master or the Lord forgave him his huge debt, but he then turned to a fellow servant who owed him a much smaller amount, and he refused to forgive him the debt and, and had him thrown into prison until he paid it back. And so when the master found this out, he said, You wicked, lazy, useless servant. How could, when I forgave you your debt, how could you not have forgiven your fellow servant his debt? And so he threw him in prison until he should pay the last penny. And then Jesus says, So will my father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from his heart. And so that's that invitation. What God has forgiven us is much greater 
than any uh, sins or wounds that others have caused to us. And so if God has forgiven us and been merciful to us in such a great way, we are also called to be forgiving towards others. Now this may be difficult, uh, and we'll go through some uh, reasons why we don't forgive in a little bit. The third key is renunciation. It's uh, a continuation of our baptismal promises. When we were first baptized, we said, Do you renounce Satan? I do. And all his works? I do. And all his empty promises? I do. Uh, renunciation, then, is just a, an expansion of those renunciations and going into specifics. How is the devil at work in my own life? What are his empty promises that I may have fallen into? And so I'm renouncing them by name. So in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of lust, let's say. Or in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of worry and anxiety. Or in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of unworthiness. It's, it's, uh, it's acknowledging what are those spirits that we have allowed to enter in and have influence and now we say they can no longer be there. I don't want them to be there, so they must go. Because we pray it in the name of Jesus, we're using the authority of Christ. It's not our own authority. And Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, my Father will grant. And so we can have great confidence that the prayers that we make in the name of Jesus are backed up by his authority and his power. The fourth key is the prayer of command. So once we've renounced these spirits, we make a simple prayer that says, in the name of Jesus, I command all these spirits mentioned and any related spirits to leave now. The spirits can have some evil spirits, we're talking, can have some kind of influence over us because we've agreed in some way. We've allowed them to be present. We've given consent. The renouncing of them says, I no longer give you consent to be there. You're, you're not welcome anymore. And so they must go when we make the prayer of command. Uh, in the name of Jesus, I command these spirits and any related spirits to leave now. I will not fellowship with you any longer. And then finally, the fifth key and probably the most important one is the prayer of blessing. If we have fallen into and believed lies that were presented by the enemy, then we need to hear the truth. And that is in, that's contained in the prayer of blessing, where uh, we invite the Holy Spirit or God the Father to speak through the person who's praying to give a blessing to uh, the person who is being prayed with, to reveal how God sees them, how he looks upon them with favor and with love, and the plans that he has for them. Behold, I know my plans for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for your woe. Those are the five keys. Now let's go through what are the eight ways that we can become bound. There maybe are others, but these are the eight main ways that we can enter into bondage. And as we go through these, it might trigger some uh, thoughts about your own life and, uh, and bring to the surface some of those areas where bondage may have occurred that we need to be set free from. First of all is unconfessed sin. Whenever we t start to make a home for a sin, we say, well, I tried, to, I tried to break free from this, but I just can't. And so I guess I, I'll just have to get used to that, that it's going to be there. I'm resigned to it. I'm, I can't uh, resist it anymore. 
And so they're, they're making a, we're making a home for sin. Uh, it is unconfessed. And so we're, in some way we're making an agreement and allowing it to be there. So the bond, there's a bondage to sin in that sense. We are slaves to sin, St. Paul says. Uh, in our country, we often think, well, this is a free country. I can do whatever I want. But real freedom is to be able to do the good. Someone who is enslaved to sin is not even able to do the good. For example, someone who has uh, alcoholic uh, addiction, they might say, well, I can stop drinking any time. But are they really free and able to do that if they're in the addiction? They need, uh, they need power and strength from uh, the higher power, who is God, to help set them free from this slavery and bondage. Second is response to trauma. Uh, sometimes things can happen in our lives that are traumatic, and that in itself is not necessarily going to be problematic, but it was, what is our response to the trauma at the time? The, the evil one or the devil is right there when traumatic things happen and suggesting lies. So let's say we try to um, do something good and, and show our father about it and be pleasing to him. Instead, he got angry and yelled at us. And so we might say, well, I'm not going to uh, try to show any, I'm not going to reveal anything from my, what I've accomplished to my dad anymore because he won't appreciate it. And so I kind of close off that relationship as a response to the traumatic experience. Sometimes fears can enter in due to a traumatic experience, like a fear of uh, a fear of other people or a fear of men, um, especially for those who have been abused in a certain sense. Uh, a fear of my own uh, sexuality or sexual desires. There can be fear of anger if we experienced someone who was angry and, and it was frightening to us, especially when we were very little, where we felt powerless and helpless. We might say, well, I would never want to get angry like that because it's hurtful to other people. And so there's a fear of anger to say, uh, I don't ever want to be angry like that. And so we cover it up and try to pretend that we're not angry. And someone says, why are you angry? And we say, I'm not angry, <laughs> indicates there may be a a fear of anger that is present there, a response to that trauma. Third is family sin. Uh, this is mentioned in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 to 19. The sins of parents and grandparents can be passed on to their children. We know that certain environments that we grow up in can influence us. So if we have alcoholism in the family, it's more likely to be transmitted. But it can also be true of other spirits too, like a spirit of depression, maybe a spirit of pessimism, uh, a spirit of hopelessness, uh, discouragement, um, a spirit of anger or wrath, these kinds of things. So it's, it's acknowledging uh, and forgiving the person who uh, exposed us to these things in our family and then uh, renouncing them ourselves. Next is curses and self-inflicted curses. A curse is speaking badly about a person. In Latin, male dicere, whereas a blessing is speaking well of a person, which means bene dicere, to speak well of someone. This is the Latin word for blessing. So a curse is something that was said to us oftentimes by someone in a position of authority, which means we think uh, we, we must 
believe them because they're, they're, uh, it's, it's my parents who are telling me this, or a teacher when I was young. And, and so it may be a lie, but we believe it because the person is in a position of authority. And then as we grow older, we start to take over and say those things to ourselves. So it's not the, it's not the parent or teacher anymore who's saying it. We just say it to ourselves. Like, I'm worthless. Or, uh, no matter what I do, it's never good enough. Or, you are public enemy number one. Or, uh, you'll never find anyone to, that will uh, get married to you. Or, you're not good at math. You're stupid. You know, these kinds of things are false. They're lies. But because of the person who said it, we tend to believe it. And so we can renounce these curses or lies. Next is involvement in the occult. Any type of uh, dabbling in the occult or um, occult practitioners is opening the door to evil spirits influencing us. And this would be the Ouija board, seances, uh, fortune-telling, horoscopes, consulting a medium, voodoo, witchcraft, casting spells, tarot cards, uh, psychics, uh, Reiki. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things now, especially nowadays, that are uh, opening the doorway to occult, the, the influence of evil spirits. And so uh, there's a specific prayer in Unbound Prayer, which is, in the name of Jesus, I renounce any spirits that came to me through uh, the Ouija board, or through the witchcraft, or um, I think certainly there can also be through uh, pornography. Next is acting out of rebellion or disobedience. The devil is uh, a rebel. He is disobedient to the Lord. He says, I will not serve. So anytime we act in rebellion or disobedience, we're cooperating with the evil one by saying, I don't want to serve. And this is especially true when parents or when children rebel against their parents and, and try to break free and say, I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with you. There's a fundamental relationship uh, that is being severed there. And so it's opening the door to be now cooperating with the evil one uh, in rebellion or disobedience. Next is identification with lies that we've believed. We start to say, well, that's just my personality. Uh, Neil Lozano speaks of that. One, uh, for much of his life, he felt uh, critical of other people. So when he would see someone, he would start having critical thoughts of them and making judgments, at least just in his mind. And he thought, well, it's just my personality. It's something I'll always have to struggle with. But someone one time says, you know, maybe we should pray and renounce that spirit of criticism. And so they did. Uh, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of criticism. And he said he actually felt something go up off of him and leave him. And after that, uh, that spirit of criticism was gone. He could look at people with compassion and understanding and love rather than criticism and judgment. So there might be something that's been there a long time, and we think it's just part of my personality, but it may not be part of our personality. It might be something that's become attached to us, and, uh, and we think it's who we are, but it's not a friend. It's an evil spirit. So we can renounce those things. And then finally, any kind of sexual intercourse outside of marriage, a bond is formed. In the book of Genesis, it says the two become one flesh. And so there is a real bond that's formed. And so we, uh, we have a prayer in the deliverance prayer that 
severs that bond and breaks that tie. In the name of Jesus, I break any physical, spiritual, or emotional ties with, and name the person, and take back to myself what I've given to them. Or, uh, or take back to myself what they've taken from me. And in that way, it's um, breaking the bond that has been formed. There can be even be attachments in our own mind and heart towards people that we haven't even met. So, for example, movie stars or famous people, we can, we can become obsessed with them and have an internal attachment in our heart. And here, too, the, that prayer is helpful in breaking that bond or that interior attachment that has been made so that we can be free. Now uh, we'll look for, uh, we'll move on to the key of forgiveness and uh, list the, the 15 reasons why we don't forgive. And as we go through these, again, it may trigger or, or bring to mind in your own life uh, those areas that point to well, these are people that I need to forgive or, or um, these are people that I'm still holding on to resentment towards. So first uh, is saying, I don't want to forgive. Forgiveness in this sense is not a feeling, but it is an act of the will. It's a decision. It's something that we can choose to do. We might say, well, I feel angry towards this person, and so I can't forgive. In other words, it's saying, I don't want to forgive. I want to continue to hold on to this. Whereas the Lord is inviting us to forgive, which is saying, I'm choosing to let go of my right to hold on to this offense. I'm not condoning the action by forgiving it. I'm not saying it was no big deal. Don't worry about it. But it's saying there was a real hurt here, but I forgive you. I'm letting go of the resentment and, and the, the holding on to that offense. Number two is a lack of faith. We, we say, well, I tried to forgive, but I couldn't. It's impossible. But then we remember, with God, all things are possible. And so there's a prayer that we can say to, for greater faith, that God will help us to forgive. All forgiveness flows from the words of Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The them he's referring to is everyone because he died for the sins of the whole world. And so all people of all times, in the past and in the future, their sins are forgiven at that moment while Jesus is on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So when we forgive someone, uh, it's not saying that I'm the source of forgiveness. It's saying Jesus is the source, but I'm taking his forgiveness and applying it to this specific person in my life who has hurt me or who has offended me. In this way, we can recognize I may not be able to do it on my own, but I can give them Jesus's forgiveness. And, and then it is possible. Number three, the lack of awareness of the need to forgive. Uh, sometimes we minimize uh, what happened or we say, well, I think I've already forgiven. There, I, don't, I can't think of anyone that I need to forgive. Father DeGrandis used to go around giving retreats on forgiveness, and people would come at the beginning of the retreat, and he'd say, is there anyone that, that you need to forgive? And they're like, no, I, I don't think so. I've, I pretty much have forgiven people. But then by the end of the retreat, as he went into it more, 
they would have a list of people that they needed to forgive, and it could be 50 to 150 names on that list. So uh, we asked the Lord to help surface in our minds and hearts and reveal to us who are those people that I'm holding on to resentment or that I need to forgive. Uh, number four is we minimize it. We, th- we think, oh, it was no big deal. Sometimes uh, there was one person that Neil was praying with who said, I was uh, sexually abused by my neighbor, but uh, they never penetrated me, so it was, it was not that big of a deal. Well, this was a serious offense that needs forgiveness from the heart. uh, sometimes we do uh, a similar thing with our parents. We say, well, they try to do the best job they could. I'm not going to blame them. And so there's really nothing to forgive there. Well, maybe there was a hurt that was received. They may not have intended it. They were trying to do the best they could. But on our part, there's still a need to forgive, to let go of that resentment. Number five is fear. We're afraid to let go because we use our anger as a shield to keep ourselves from being hurt again. It's kind of a guardedness. You know, before someone rejects me, I'll reject them so that they don't get too close to me because then I'll be hurt again. So we're using, we're using our unforgiveness as a shield to protect ourselves. But in this case, we recognize it is the Lord who gives us uh, his love and his grace. So forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation requires an action on the part of both parties, whereas I can forgive even if, the, even if I'm not reconciled to this person because they're not willing to move forward. So what we're called to do is to forgive. Sometimes we say, well, the other person has to apologize, and this is the next one, failure to take responsibility. They have to apologize first, and then I'll forgive. Or there's something they have to do first, and then I'll forgive. And until they do that, I'm not forgiving. Well, our responsibility is to forgive. If they want to apologize, that's their responsibility, that that we pray for that grace, that they can come to that. But uh, my forgiveness doesn't depend upon that. The Lord is inviting me to forgive. And if we think about the very nature of forgiveness, it's not something that the person deserves it's, it's a free gift, just as Jesus forgave us all from the cross. Sometimes the, nec- the next one is number seven. The person represents someone else. So I, I may fly off the handle at some slight thing that someone says or does and think, why did I get so upset and angry about that? Well, it's not because of the thing itself that they did. It's because it's reminding me of something from earlier in my life. In other words, it's touching on another wound that, ha- that is deeper. And, and because they're touching on that, I'm reacting with anger. And so that is the, what needs to be forgiven, that earlier wound in my life. Uh, so we ask the Lord to reveal, what, what is this reminding me of? And then can I forgive that person? And so then this, this current situation uh, won't uh, cause me to react in such a way. Number eight, we need to forgive ourselves. Perhaps the person who is most difficult to forgive is ourselves. We might say, well, I can forgive everyone, but I can't forgive myself, as in, I should have known better, or how could I have done such a thing? And so we hold ourselves accountable when God does not even hold us 
to such a standard uh, of accountability. So uh, to forgive ourselves uh, is to say, I'm, I'm receiving God's forgiveness of me, and so I also forgive myself. I let it go. Number nine is a poor sense of self-identity. We try to find our value or our worth in who we are, in what we do, I mean, rather than who we are. God sees us as his beloved children, who we are. And uh, he says, you are my beloved son or daughter. His love for us is not based on what we do and whether we've done good things or not. It's based on who we are. But sometimes we fall into this identity of, of finding my value or worth in what I do, in my accomplishments. And so when I fall short or don't accomplish it, I feel like a failure. Uh, and we notice this when people correct us about our behavior and we get extremely upset and, and it causes great turmoil in our soul. And, and this is a sign that we're trying to find our value in our behavior, in what we do, rather than in who we are. Number 10 is bondage to evil spirits such as bitterness or resentment. Sometimes when we try to pray with someone the prayers of forgiveness, they just can't even say the words. They can't uh, get them out. And so here that may indicate there's a spirit of resentment or bitterness that has set in. And so if we renounce those first, then we can go ahead and start saying the prayers of forgiveness. Number 11, I'm not ready to forgive. You know, sometimes people say, well, this is going to take some time before I'm able to forgive. But if we look at the nature of God and how quickly he forgave, while Jesus was on the cross, he forgave. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. So the Lord is slow to anger, quick to forgive. Oftentimes we're the opposite. We're quick to get angry and slow to forgive. We want to become more like God, to forgive as quick as possible, to not allow that resentment or bitterness to fester in our own hearts. Number 12, we have not received the gift of forgiveness. We try to earn it or say, I, I have to do something so that I'm deserving of forgiveness. Well, forgiveness, as we mentioned, is a gift. It's not something that we deserve, but it is what the Lord wishes to give to us. And so we, we would be wrong to refuse it because we feel like we're undeserving. So we want to receive the gift of forgiveness with open arms. Number 13, I have already forgiven. You might say, yeah, I forgave that person. But if, if, if when we think about that person, there's still feelings of anger and resentment that surface, or we say, well, I've forgiven that person, I'm just not speaking to them anymore, well, that indicates there's, there's still something that hasn't been forgiven, uh, a need to renew or maybe go more into specifics of, the, of things that need to be forgiven with regard to that person. Number 14 is unrealistic expectations or idealized thoughts. Sometimes the person may not have even done anything uh, willingly or intentionally, but yet we're angry. You know, I had an unrealistic expectation. I thought my husband was going to give me flowers on Valentine's Day, and he didn't. So now I'm angry. Well, he may not have known that's what I desired. And then I say, well, he should have known, so I'm angry. And so, so we also have to forgive people for these unrealistic expectations, 
hidden expectations that we place on them that they didn't do, they fell short of, or idealized thoughts. Uh, idealized. I thought my spouse should be perfect, and they're not, and so now I'm angry. Well, there's, a, there's an idealism there, so there's a need to forgive. I forgive my spouse for not being perfect, for falling short, and I forgive myself for not being perfect, for falling short. The last one is, is the victim spirit. When we've been abused, used, deceived, or harmed by people in positions of power, there can be that spirit that says, well, this is just what I deserve. It's, it's the victimization spirit that keeps us in that place of thinking, uh, I can't break free from this. And so the prayer is renouncing the victim spirit. To say, the Lord desires to set me free so that I have free will again and, and I have uh, free choice and, uh, and authority as a son or daughter of God. So those are the 15 reasons why we don't forgive. And the, the five keys are used in prayer uh, in the sense of all the prayers in the name of Jesus. So the person who's praying with the person to be delivered uh, says the prayers and then the other person just repeats them, but, it, but it's their prayer. So it's, in the name of Jesus, I repent of, and then listing those things. In the name of Jesus, I forgive, name the person for the, the specific thing that caused a hurt. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirits of unforgiveness, resentment, anger, lust, pride, and so forth. And then in the name of Jesus, I command these spirits and any related spirits to leave now. And then finally, the prayer of blessing. I hope this is helpful to learn a little bit more about unbound prayer and how the Lord desires to set us free. To get more information, read the book Unbound by Neil Lozano. Thank you and God bless you.